0: Welcome to Devices and Desires. We're a podcast that's looking into the culture that we're living in, exposing cracks in the stories it tells, stories about progress, self-image, success, happiness. We're trying to figure out what it looks like for the gospel to open up from within that fragmented culture. And so we'll bring our perspective as Anglican Christians, but whoever you are, we hope you'll track with us as we examine the devices and desires of our own hearts and those of our culture. I'm Father Brian Wandell from Church of the Atonement in Buffalo, New York, the Nickel City, the Queen City, the City of Lights. Um, Jimmy, do we have any other any other mottos here?
1: City of good neighbors, did you good say Good neighbors,
0: that that's a great one, yeah, yeah, very good.
1: An all-American city too. An all-America an an all- America. city, an yeah, all-America all- all city. All-America, all-America.
0: All <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Which Don't I think means that we Supreme were American one of the best now. college football players last year or something. Um, so we have, we have a great episode here. Uh, this is an episode where... Uh, oh, I, I, I told you about myself. Uh, we also have with us Father Andrew Tebow. Uh, Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. well. Thank you, Brian. Uh, and I
1: am in Arlington, Texas, uh, at St. Peter and St. Paul Anglican Church. And we are the home of the Dallas Cowboys, obviously, the Dallas Cowboys are we in the Arlington, Arlington Dallas yeah. Cowboys, and <laughs> the uh, Texas Rangers are here. Okay. And we are the premier entertainment center of America. Great,
0: yeah, that sounds very Start entertaining. Yeah, that's what he calls it because the uh, the chant that he does for his services now. <laughs> Should to clarify. Uh, That's liturgical chanting, um, for those who might not be aware. Thank you. And Mr. James Kibbe, how are you today? I'm doing well, Father Brian. Uh, How are you doing? Excellent. So here's our episode today. Uh, Andrew and I are going to interview each other. We minister in some very different places. We're both Christian pastors. We're Anglican priests. uh, And we, we, well, we used to only be ministering a, a few miles from each other, but we're now thousands of miles from each other. Uh, But we are some different cultures within the United States of America. And uh, our cultures have different assumptions uh, about what Christianity is. Our cultures have different assumptions about uh, how happiness is achieved. There's also actually quite a bit of overlap also. So what we're gonna do is each of us is going to interview the other one about the kind of culture that we're in. And so Andrew is in a culture that uh, trends a little bit more on the conservative side of things. And I'm in a culture that trends more toward the progressive side of things. And this plays into a lot about how we think about our ministry. And so we're going to do a little cultural diagnosis here. And hopefully our listeners can get a better sense of what it's like. Um, and not only what it's like, but, uh, but what this means for the gospel. And hopefully this can help us to understand, um, understand the gospel in a deeper way so andrew i've got some questions for you first of all uh the i think the assumption is um hopefully this works is that arlington texas trends a little bit more on the conservative side of things Uh, would you say that's true so far in your experience there or maybe more importantly like conservative is such a broad word it can you can mean so many things by that right in what ways is it conservative what are they conservative about yeah, that's um those are good
1: questions. Uh let me give a um disclaimer before I get too far uh into this and note that I've only been in Arlington for 3 months now, so uh some of what I have to say needs to be taken um with some degree of uh understanding that I'm new. Uh but I have lived in Texas before um for 11 years in New Braunfels. Um, And there are are some similarities because they're in the same state. Um, The thing about Arlington itself is that it's part of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, uh, which is a big conglomeration of cities that have sort of, uh, through growth, blended together uh, to be identifiable as one really large metroplex. Uh, Arlington, in the midst of that, is does tend to trend, um, like you said, conservatively. Um, in fact, we are in Tarrant County, which is uh, a different county than Dallas County, and Tarrant County includes Fort Worth and other cities um, that all, not all, I can't say all, but many do tend to be more conservative, whereas Dallas uh, County, and especially the city of Dallas, tend to be uh, more progressive. Um, so the, the, Fort, the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex is, if we were to think of it in terms of political party colors, would, instead of being blue or red, would be kind of purple. Uh, and Arlington itself uh, tends to be a bit more um, conservative now what do we mean by conservative well, we could be talking about um you know being theologically conservative which would be something we would want to talk about in the church uh we could be talking about moral being morally conservative or politically conservative or um down down the list i think we're we're focused on um probably more towards like the moral um and political conservative or progressive in our, our discussion here today. Um, and we could probably get into theological as well. Um, what does that look like here in, in Arlington? Um, well, you know, as you said, there are, um, there's some overlapping things. There are things that our culture, our American culture, um, has at the core of it, you know, um, freedom, our understanding of freedom is essentially the same. The, um, increasingly our understanding of the self is the same. Um, and those things are tied up with our understanding or theories about the government and what it means to be a polis or a political body. Uh, and so those play out a little bit differently in Arlington than say in Buffalo. Um,
0: let me ask you this question. Yeah. When, you know, sometimes one way you can kind of understand, um, what, what a group finds important is by who they consider to be a threat or dangerous, uh, who would be, you know, some people in your area who, like what kind of organizations or movements would some of them consider to be a, a threat or like the bad guy?
1: That's a good it doesn't question. Doesn't have to be
0: people in your church, but just generally, you know, around there.
1: Uh, Truthfully, I'm, I'm still working to figure that out. Um, you know, in the state of Texas, um, big government, um, I think right now, uh, big electric <laughs> in Arlington. We've just uh, lived through a big snowstorm that had um, some uh, electrical problems that went with that. People are pretty mad at the electrical company right now. But um, I don't know anything that sort of depends that would um, seek to take away the rights um, as they're enumerated in the Constitution. Um, you know, there, in Texas, there's, you know, the, the, that cowboy persona, uh, the autonomous cowboy, you know, the guy, the Lone Ranger kind of kind of thing. Um, don't tread on me. Don't tread on Texas. Don't try to take our rights away from us. Um, and that's sort of, you know, here... The response to COVID has been much different than it was in Buffalo, uh, because there's more of a premium on autonomy and and rights here, um, and how that that impacts our policy making than than say in in Buffalo. In Buffalo, or in the state of New York, um, the population was willing to give up some of their their rights and freedoms for the sake of of safety right? To be protected from, from COVID. Here in Texas, the population is less likely to do that. They don't want to give up their rights for the sake of freedom. They want to have the freedom or for the sake of safety, I should say, not for the sake of freedom. They want to keep their freedom. Um, they don't want to give up those liberties. Um, they want to keep, um, they don't want to make that particular trade as it were.
0: Let me ask you this, Andrew. Um When, what what do you think that, you know, the, the secular culture around you, you know, when, if you were to tell someone that, um, that you were um, in a church in a, in a more politically conservative area, um, what, what do you think the, the culture's assumptions would be like about what it's like for that kind of church, you know? what it's like to be a church in a, in a politically conservative area.
1: Well, so we're not just in a politically conservative area, we're in the Baptist belt. Um, and I think that, the, that our neighbors who are, are secular, um, depending on how you define that, are pretty used to the idea that their neighbors are church-affiliated in some way. Um, so I, my sense has been that there's not the same kind of, um, reaction, like emotional reaction or, or pushback or, or shock maybe about what you're, you go to church. It's just sort of like normal here. You know, I go to a coffee shop that's near my, near my church, um, and spend time there. Uh, and it's not unusual for that coffee shop to be playing Christian music. Uh, it's not unusual to see um, college students and high school students and young adults doing Bible studies together. Um, it's not unusual to overhear conversations about church and God and to see, you know, I, I go as a, as Anglicans, we wear uh, collars as part of our um our attire for our work. And I'll go there with my collar on, uh, and people are still, you know, they still greet me warmly and, and are friendly and, uh, even people who, um, I can tell are, are secular, you know, not that I can just like look at them and tell, but because, you know, you, you hear people talking in a coffee shop or you see what they're reading or, um, and you know, that's an assumption I suppose too. But, um, I don't get the same sort of response that I got in Buffalo when I would show up someplace in, in my collar, right in Buffalo. If you show up in your collar, sometimes the conversation just stops. They don't want to have a conversation. Now, some of that's because of the the history of the Roman Church there, um, and being associated with that. But, but you don't it, you don't experience that here. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily because we're politically conservative as much as the vestiges of christendom or or christianity are like they're hanging on more here than they are in buffalo
0: yeah it's good sense a good idea there you were it's it's like it's religious conservatism and it i mean maybe it's tied to theological conservatism but just the sense that of like religion being something that's being conserved in and of itself uh is continuing That, that kind of ties into another question i had um as you've been in this kind of context wh- what parts of the gospel uh are seem easier to you in this kind of context uh what parts of the gospel seem harder in this kind of context
1: Yeah uh that those are good questions um I'm not sure I have full answers for you uh I can draw a little bit on past experience in Texas and being a a youth pastor um here um so one of the dangers well let me start with the positive right uh so what things are easier to talk about um and what are easier um there's a degree to which um there's a like a, a they know our stories and on our positive in general to our story right we talk about how the surrounding culture in the U.S. tells stories to, to make sense of reality, well, here there's still a, an understanding about um, what the Christian stories are, and so, in some ways when they've you, shaped the imagination here.
0: When you say Christian stories, are you referring, like, specifically to Bible stories themselves, or do you mean kind of more generally stories of sin and redemption, uh, kind of the, that that level of narrative? A little bit of both, actually.
1: Um so, like in a in a really, what we might call quote a post Christian culture, and we can unpack that a little bit when we talk about being in Buffalo, um, you know a a city after Christianity that sort of left that behind, um, you know you might make reference to Noah, right? Um, here in in Texas, if I say Noah. People still, I think, for the most part, think of the story of the flood, Noah's flood, the ark, and some of that still shapes the imagination a little bit. Whereas my experience in Buffalo was that if I said Noah, somebody thought of their their neighbor's kid. You know, there was no like, yeah, that's just Noah. That, that that it's Noah doesn't have anything to do with anything beyond that um and here there's still some of that now with those stories the the bible stories those particular stories comes the the grand story the, the the bigger stories about sin and redemption about who the human creature is and and in relation to god and what is creation and and i think that there's some more memory about that here um in texas than there is um, at least in Buffalo and in other places that we might call um, post-Christian. But I think that also um, is some of the weakness or the problem here is that um, there's not a recognition of how much the the broader culture has infiltrated um, the culture here. Um, so for instance, the, the idea of the autonomous self, the, that kind of like uh lone ranger cowboy kind of guy, well, well, is that biblical? Is that like theologically sound? Is that the, the Christian understanding of the human person or is that an American understanding of the human person? Um. And so there's, I I think that's just sort of assumed here, even in the churches, and, and it's not really questioned. Um, also, because it there's still that vestige of Christianity, people think they know who Jesus is. Um, but as you, you begin talking to them, they really don't have a full understanding anyway of who Jesus is. And they're certainly not committed disciples to Jesus. They're not living their life in any way that looks like a Christian life, uh, but they think they're saved because they they think they believe um that jesus died on the cross and rose again and, that, and that's enough um you know we might say that that's well you know if you're not living it then you're not you don't really believe it you've got some sort of intellectual assent to to a data point well that that's not salvation salvation believing is putting your trust in jesus christ and living a life that reflects that um
0: That's good. Actually, that's a good segue to uh, the next thing I wanted to ask about, though, you know, worth noting since 2013, the name Noah has been the first or second most popular name for American boys. Crazy, isn't it? Um, (laughs) You thought I just pulled that out of a hat. No, yeah, you're right. I I knew like one Noah when I was growing up, but now like every other boy is named Noah. Um, My question is, you know, in this, in this podcast, we, we, we try to talk about some of the, the cracks within secular narratives. So in other words, stories get told like they explain everything um, in, in big narratives uh, that are told, but, uh, but in how they actually work out, there's usually some kind of a, a crack in that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't explain as much as it hopes to, or when it actually works out practically, there are symptoms, problems. Can you give us a little diagnosis, uh, Andrew? Uh, what what do you think are some of the cracks in American conservatism, uh, political conservatism, or just some of the things you see? Um, what are some unacknowledged symptoms, maybe that that are related to that, or that or things that uh, that it has difficulty um, identifying for itself? Yeah, uh, I think one of the
1: the the problems um with American conservatism in general, um is a lack of self-awareness. Um there's sort of this idea that and what do I mean by that? Um there's sort of this idea where um to be conservative is necessarily to be different than progressive. And what we fail to see is actually, you know, in a lot of instances, we're working on the same assumptions. We're just the flip side of that assumption. Um, so, for instance, uh, as an, a conservative, I might be in favor of uh, small government. Um, why am I in favor of small government? Because I believe in the individual's right uh, to choose what they want to choose. And I think that the government gets in the way of that. Well, conversely, as a progressive, I also believe in the self's right to choose. Uh, But I think that big government is good because it protects those rights. uh, And it then can um, authenticate the self's uh, choices. Neither, Generally, the conservative doesn't question their own presuppositions in that. They just take it for granted that because they're conservative, their assumptions are different than... Um, than the progressives. And by assumption, I mean those things that are underlying um, some of our, our ideas. So, and actually what I would want to say is that in in many ways, conservatives have bought into the same larger story, the stories that we tell in our American culture as progressives have, we just sort of work that out a little bit differently at times. Um, And I think you see this in places like, um, well especially let's let's take the uh lgbtq plus movement what we're seeing is a growing number of self-identified identified conservatives um who are in favor of the lgbtq movement uh and protecting those those rights and we we might make an argument that we should anyway but um so you have states like Indiana where there was um an attempt to pass a legislature that would protect um, religious institutions relative to um, LGBTQ rights Um, and a largely conservative Republican um, Congress and governor shot it down Uh, and it wasn't passed because um, they bought into some of those those same presuppositions about the self.
0: You know, and I think it's important to point out here. Like, you know, we we, we don't have the facility right now to um, to like analyze every position of the Republican Party or something. Really, we're we're talking about conservative cultures as a whole, and I, there are many of those, right? Conservative institutions, interest groups, things like that. You know, how that works out in specific cultures, right? Um, and I'm, I, you know, I wonder if part of that too is um sometimes it becomes so tribal that you know on the on the face of it um when someone identifies as conservative like you might see something as a threat to like your ideology so you frame it as an ideology right and and everything everything in politics takes both sides get put out in ideological terms um but but underneath that there's there is a significant kind of cultural uh underlay below that and so uh, I, I think I think what you're talking about, Andrew, is true. There's a lot of vulnerabilities that are created. So, for example, uh, going back to Indiana, uh, you know, one of the candidates for for president on the Democratic side in the last cycle was Pete Buttigieg. Uh, you know, a mm-hmm. mayor from Indiana, uh, who doesn't look like your typical like LGBT sort of um, person because he's he's very he's he has some like. Uh, uh, politically progressive opinions overall, but, uh, but he looks very conservative, right? He, he dresses cleanly. Uh, he doesn't talk with a lisp. Uh, you know, he, he's, he has like, just has like a solid background, you know, he is married, uh, you know, all, all of these things. And so in many ways, like he, He is living a conservative lifestyle. His political positions, for the most part, are not trying to like radically change things tomorrow. You know, like he's a lot, he's a very incrementalist kind of person. And I think there becomes a soft on ramp for a lot of uh, political conservatives then to feel like it's more or less the same kind of thing Um, and that the differences are smaller then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think some of that comes from that um having bought into some of the same assumptions about yeah. the human person and freedom and um yeah
0: I, uh, my my big question is is this one how can churches that really strive to be part of the kingdom of god jesus work on earth uh, the gospel how, how can churches be part of of a new flourishing of the gospel in more conservative parts of the U.S., uh, given given sort of um, you know some of the things that are left by the wayside in conservative cultures, people who are maybe not as likely to be picked up by I don't know the analysis or the support systems or or something like that. How, how can gospel-driven churches be part of, of of kingdom flourishing within a conservative culture? Well,
1: I think it starts with. First, recognizing that conservative areas need the gospel too. Uh, just because you're conservative doesn't mean that you don't need Jesus. Um, plenty of people would count themselves conservative that are atheist or, um, or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, we all need Jesus. Uh, I mean, like that's not to pick on conservatives. We all we all need Jesus, but including conservatives. Um, and so i think it's important for us to recognize that just because our neighbors have a a politically conservative view of the world doesn't mean they don't need jesus and so we have to recognize that there is kingdom work to be done here uh just because we vote red doesn't mean that the gospel work is done Uh, and in fact i would say that um that the Republican Party and conservatism in general has has issues um, that need the gospel pretty badly. Um, that you know, perhaps we're not as justice oriented, or, or perhaps we're not as um, kingdom oriented as as we think we actually are, and that we need to go back to to the gospel and to Jesus and to be shaped first and foremost by Him and the gospel. And then go uh, to our politics. And I think that's really um, one of the things that we as Christians in this contact context can do is to, is to make sure that our identity uh, is first and foremost found in Christ. Uh, and not in our political, uh, the way we vote. Um, but that we belong first to the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ and not to the kingdom of America. Um, yes, we're American, but we're Christians first, uh, and then we're Americans. It's, it doesn't go the other way around. If, if you count yourself as being American and then Christian, um, well, that's idolatry, uh, and that's not the way things go. It, it's our understanding of God and Jesus Christ that ought to be shaping all the things after that. That's our starting point, and I think what we can do as as Christians in this context is Remind the people of that. I think both left and right, uh, Democrat, Republican, uh, we've talked about this before, they've been siloed. Um, and our identities are increasingly found in those things. And I, I think that we, as the church, need to remind people that, you know, the hum- that's not the human person. That's not who we were created to be. Uh, so we can speak truth into that still and need to. Um, I think it's important for us to, um, you know, in a, in a conservative context, there are touch points with the gospel, um, I think. Um, and so we, we need to affirm those those places. Um, to be fair, I, I think there are touch points on the left with the gospel, too. Neither party is totally devoid of truth. Um, but there are also places in the conservative worldview that have strayed from, from Christ and the gospel. And so we need to call those things back too. Um, if we are unable to see uh, ways that, you know, big corporations or um, some of the shibboleths of the right contribute to injustice and only because of our political leaning, um, well, that's a problem. Like we need How, to go back I, to the gospel.
0: Can I, I think there's maybe a particular, particular aspect of ministry, which I, I mean, or I deal with in a different way, uh, Andrew, I just wonder, you know, some, for some people in more conservative cultures, there, there's got to be some, um, some separating that happens from between Christian identity and various political positions or uh, a way that you approach nationalism or something like that. And I, I assume like that in some ways, that's got to be part of discipleship, right? Is being able to see where the differences lie because the culture sort of locks lops those things together right um can can you speak at all to that how 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 that can be part of discipleship i assume that's a difficult thing is to is to to be able to distinguish which parts of the conservative culture are you know direct touch points with christianity and which ones are less closely associated yeah i
1: i think the key is for us to recognize that that first and foremost, we were Christians, and we we belong to Christ. And um, as Abram Kuyper said, uh, there is no part of culture which Christ doesn't say mine. Um, and so I think that uh, the scriptures and and the teachings of the church and Jesus have something to say for every area of life uh, and every area of um not just our politics, but but all parts of life. Um, and actually, there's a, a point there that I want to make and come back to. But uh, So I think that's part of it, to recognize that as Christians, we start from the stories, the, the, the Christian narrative, the Christian understanding of the world, and then we move down. And our politics, our policy preferences should be in line with that. Um, and not first and foremost with the republican party or libertarianism or or whatever um but we should be looking back to what does the tradition of the church say what does do the scriptures say what does the gospel say about this Um, one of the things that the tradition and the church or the the church i.e the tradition and the scriptures say is that contrary to our own culture which wants to say that everything is political um and that the human creature is uh first and foremost this uh a political creature um we say no to that uh that yes we are political in the sense that we we inhabit this earth with other people and that that makes us a a polis that makes us uh, in relationship with others, but first and foremost, we were created to worship the Lord. And so that gives the shape of humanity uh, a distinctive um, that you don't find in our um, in our culture. So the culture wants to say that that all things have to be related back to politics as we understand politics today. And what we want to say is, no, we were created for, for God. And so all things need to be pointed back to that first and foremost. And then from there, we can work out, we should be working out our policies. And that should give us an opportunity then to be able to critique um, certain things within the, the Republican platform or the Libertarian platform or whatever conservative platform you want to say and say, you know what, that doesn't actually line up with the gospel. Um, maybe that's not the best way to love our neighbors. Maybe that's not the best way to pursue justice as God understands justice. Um, maybe we do actually have some accountability to our neighbor. Yeah, maybe profit isn't. Well, yeah, I'm I'm dealing in generalities and um things. That that's I great. Let
0: with. me ask you just one more question here before I finish up my side here, Andrew. You know, we are. Uh, it's 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 easy not only to divide. Uh, the country in politically and conservative uh, sides, but even to divide the church um, and not even like politically or conservative, uh, not sorry, not not only progressive or conservative sides of the church, but even even parts of the church that minister in different contexts. It's easy to divide us, right? but we are we are one body of Christ. And so what would you want? Christians who live or minister in more progressive parts of the country. What would you want them to understand better about the church and the work of the gospel that are happening in more conservative parts of the country? Yeah.
1: Well, let's start with, we are the one body of Christ. Um, We all are insofar as we've been baptized in the name of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. We're, we're all in this together. Um, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and so we need to be praying for one another, um, and recognize that 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 identity in Christ trumps other identities, right? That that my being um, a Christian, whether I'm a Republican Christian or a Democratic Democrat C- Christian, I'm first and foremost a Christian. Um, and so when I'm in a pew sitting next to somebody in the other the other camp, political camp. We belong to a bigger camp um, and we need to to treat one another that way. We need to love one another that way. We need to be um, tolerant to use a, um, a, a term with a loaded term. Um, but I mean that in the most charitable way, like in, in fact, in charity, uh, to seek peace with one another, um, to look to serve one another in the name of Christ. Um, you know, what does Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Um, well, we need to do that. We need to live that out because just as Jesus says again, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And that's the, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest witnesses and testimonies that we can have as the church in our increasingly siloed uh, culture is that we as Christians can then reach across the aisle to one another and to embrace one another in in a brotherly love and kiss because we have a deeper identity in Christ. And so we might disagree about policy. Um, but we agree on things that are far more foundational uh, and we should work together from, from that place. So um, I would want our brothers and sisters to know that, you know, that we're brothers and sisters Uh, And that we need Jesus too. Yeah. And I think that we, you know, in the conservative camp, uh, you know, we need to remember that we need Jesus. It's not that we've arrived in some way. Um, We still need to repent. We still need um, to come to Jesus. Um, And so to ask for their prayer, pray for us, pray that we can be who the Lord has called us to be so that we can be salt and light um, here. And then remember that, that we have a work, a kingdom work to do here. Um, that just because we're in uh, a more conservative area doesn't mean that the gospel isn't needed that people don't need Jesus that we, you know we can't rest on our laurels either Uh, we have to continually be growing in our discipleship with Jesus so that we can be the salt and light uh, to our our context too so again, we're all in this together (laughs) until Jesus comes again we are all in this together
0: that's great. Well, we're going to come back in just a minute, and Andrew's going to interview me about ministering in the midst of a progressive culture. But for a moment, enjoy the sweet sounds of Mr. James Kibby, the terrific tunes, the melodious music of Jimmy Kibbe. We'll be back in a minute.
1: You are listening to Devices and Desires, Finding a Sacred World in a Secular Age. Like and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Devices and Desires. Welcome back to Devices and Desires. Uh, I have, I, Andrew, have just been on the hot seat. Uh, Brian has uh, put the screws to me, as it were. Uh, now I get to return fire at him. Uh, so we're going to ask some questions, Brian. I think we'll, we'll probably end up covering uh, much of the same ground. Um, ready when you are. Let's do it. Great. Uh, so what do you think um, the secular culture's assumptions are about what it's like uh, to be in the church where you are? Um, you know, here in the south or in texas uh we're conservative you are in a progressive area how might that those assumptions be different
0: yeah so you know what what's what's our progressive culture like you know so i mean we're we're i think in some ways it's a typical um american urban environment as far as as far as that goes we're also in the northeast which um is going to trend you know more so in the progressive direction Um, I miss, I minister in a part of the city that is, uh, definitely sort of on the, on the leading edge of that for the most part. Um, a a city is many different things, right? Um, there's a fair bit of Buffalo that's just immigrants, right? And it's not going to class too well on progressive and conservative lines. Um, but the leading voices in the city are certainly much more on the progressive side of things. And so... Um, you know, my ministry in the midst of that is that uh, there are not many uh, theologically conservative churches, um, and there are, and those churches are not very big for the most part. Um, My context also means that um, uh, I think the churches tend to focus on some some different things. Uh, What are the secular culture's assumptions about what it's like to to minister in this kind of context? Um, I think Well, I think many of the assumptions of the secular culture are just that the church is mostly irrelevant in our context, that it's not a part of the everyday life of most people in the city. Uh, So if you asked most people uh, who live in my neighborhood uh, about the church, about the work of the church, um, and what that means for the neighborhood, um, I don't think they would have any sense that there's any connection of the church to the neighborhood. Um, so I think that that would be one of the biggest parts of it. Um, I would also say that, and this, I can't speak for a lot. I've only lived in a few different cities, so I can't speak to a lot of cities, but I would say that in Buffalo, there has not often been a clear dividing line between churches that have moved to become more theologically progressive as well. Right. Um, and so, um, uh, there's not always an assumption that to be a Christian means that you would be conservative in any any particular way. Uh, So if you ask some, if I ask, if people see me and they they know that they see that I'm a pastor, their assumption is not necessarily that I'm going to take a more conservative position on really almost any given issue um, because they've seen pastors who have been involved in almost any given issue on what they would consider to be a more progressive side. So um I don't know. Yeah, the secular I think the secular culture's assumptions would be uh, either that I'm irrelevant or that um that I've been swallowed whole by them. You know, I think I think that would be the assumption for the most part. Part of uh being
1: secular in Buffalo, um Barna put out a, a report a couple of years ago that said that um, Buffalo was one of the 20 most post-Christian cities in America. Can you talk a little bit about what it might be, mean to, to say that about Buffalo? Um, and if you think that that impacts the way that people um, receive you uh, or view the church in Buffalo?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, we're in the top 10, not the top 20. Uh, Excuse thank me. You very I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have given you credit where credit was due. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll say that those studies are mostly a function of region, you know. So m- almost all the cities that are on those lists at the top are northeast or northwest cities. Um, so we're not that much different than a Rochester or New York City or Boston uh, or Seattle or Portland. were more or less in the similar milieu in, in that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, what does it mean for this area to be post-Christian? Uh, you know, certainly... Buffalo is an area we are about tied with Boston for being um, the part of the, the, a city with, that is uh, highest identification as uh, Roman Catholic as far as proportion. Um, and so that has uh, that has a decent effect in the area. It, it of course, does not ha- correlate at all with like mass going rates among Roman Catholics around here. Um, but there is, there is a certain like undercurrent of that within the culture that, you know, um, I, I, there are a huge number of people that, you know, went to mass when they were kids. Um, so we have that. Uh, it's also an area that um, has had over the years at many different times uh, significant effects from various charismatic waves. And certainly, I mean, that's true all over the U.S., Uh, historically there was quite a bit in the 19th century around here Uh, and then the 80s and 90s in the city of Buffalo um, a lot of what would be called the third wave uh, charismatic um, movement and so those had a big impact on the Christian culture around here so uh, to be a post-Christian culture in Buffalo like it certainly doesn't mean that people don't know anything about Christianity like I wouldn't go that far right Um, they are, they're post-Christian. It's not like they're a Christian. Like they don't know anything about it. Right. Um, but what that, what that, what that means, what that means means can look very different with different kinds of people. I would say uh, in the city, what we're talking most about then, let's say we're talking most about, uh, millennials, uh, 20 and 30 somethings who have moved into the city in the city's kind of urban Renaissance in the last 10 years. Uh, moved into the city from other areas uh, and have had largely the same education at American colleges and universities that more or less everyone has had you know in the last ten or fifteen years and so they 're bringing those assumptions into the city at this point and those are the leading voices now um, i don't i 'll stop there yeah okay so given all of that
1: um, how well what are the cracks? and how what are the easiest places for um your church uh, or other churches that are are like you uh to do ministry in that context and um to get the gospel out
0: yeah so i mean, i guess you know i guess first what are what are the stories that are told in the city uh that there are cracks in you know ultimately there's stories that um I would say overall, like, there's a significant, like, progressive, like, uh, th- uh, politically progressive story that um, there are injustices everywhere and that we need to find them and rectify them. Like, this is a big part of the pol- politically progressive culture. Um, and that we can do so through political means. And uh, I, I don't know there's a clear sense of what that will mean on the other side of it um, but that there is a righteous cause to be joined and that um, I guess I guess that joining is all that you have to do you know I think that's that's the base level mm-hmm. is that that right um, that you'd have to join up somehow with with the righteous causes that are out there um, it, it, the many assumptions right there's also assumptions um, that uh i would say you know assumptions as far as um uh family uh gender sexuality like there's there's so much there right uh, assumptions that um that choice is uh of the utmost value uh, one's choice for oneself about how to define the world um i guess let me just like stop right there um here are some of the cracks that come from some of those things um one would be um uh, a loss of control within the family uh, over itself and so the way that cities get around this like this is a major issue when you're going to allow children to define their own reality and so obviously this is a big part of gender transgender kind of stuff a big problem with that is that uh, parents lose authority uh, over their own children or, or lose the ability to um, um, to catechize or teach disciples, whatever, you know, uh, in mm-hmm. a secular way, though, uh, to bring up their own children. And uh, that authority doesn't get ceded to the child. That authority gets ceded to the state. Uh, right? uh, children don't have any natural authority. So it, it comes to the state then to, to be their advocates. And I, I would say, you know, that ultimately everyone gets left in in the dust on that, right? Um, like even if you think that's your ideology, um, ceding that authority to the state ultimately is going to come back to bite you in some way. And um, uh, in the city, uh, people get around that by A, moving out of the city when they have kids, right? Um, or B, by using higher-end private yeah, – yeah, moving to Texas. Or by um, – going you know going sending your kids to higher end private schools or something like that um where the government is less like in control of the situation um so i think there are many issues with family uh there um that are cracks in the culture and as well as um uh as, as well as like the ability to produce family like family is just normal and it feels normal and it's you know, it, it's anywhere you go where there are lots of families, like, you know what it's like for, the you know, I don't know, there's just a normalcy to it, right? You know, um, and uh, when you when you push on, like, gender and sexuality quite, quite a bit, like, eventually it's going to change quite a bit about what family is, people's desire to have children or, produ- you know, procreate their own children, um, uh, many different things there, right? and so i think you you lose a lot of that normalcy of like normal family life and especially and I, I, i'm not going on too long here but like assumptions about um adult development get lost in a lot of this process and so you get more and more people who don't who aren't aware of uh, markers of development in their lives um because because a, a huge part of adult development is like a, the gendered side of that you know what it means to be a man or what it means to grow up as a woman and so, without markers of development uh, that are clear, or expectations, you know, as far as you know, um, you know, getting married eventually or something like that, um, uh, that produces a, um, you know, how how do you say uh, it? It produces uh, a juvenility in the city, um, and that that becomes a big part of city culture. Is mm-hmm. is uh, juvenile relationships, uh, uh, stunted growth as far as emotional development. Um, so I, I do think that's, that plays out in among people who are older, you know, who should be adults, uh, in, in the city, uh, a fair bit. Um, as far as justice, you know, this is a whole other big issue. Um, justice is so much a part of, the value formation, right? Like it, it is, it is the religion in a certain sense. Um, it's, it's the way to feel righteous and to be on the right side of history. Um, many cracks there. One crack is just that eventually everyone gets caught. Um, there's no way to 100% be on the right side of that all the time, um, and and it's only a matter of time before you yourself are the person, right? You know, it, it's only people in their 20s who are driving the far hardest edge of the cult of, of that justice conversation who feel like they're never caught um gen x has already been caught and you know there's plenty of stories of this around the country right you know where people thought they were on the most progressive edge and then the edge gets pushed further and then they're not anymore and they're accused of something um so uh, an accusation kind of culture uh, eventually eats its own i think um many cracks there your question was about flourishing in the midst of that, right? Um, There are a lot of parts of this too. Um, I think flourishing has to do with finding those things, right? Um, So probably any kind of a a solid church in a a progressive city is going to have to have um, solid families at the center of it. Uh, and, uh, that's hard because families have a tendency to move out of cities as, as they grow. Right. Um, so it's hard to find those like great Christian families who will be the core of your church. Um, but I do think it's necessary. I have seen a lot of, I don't know, you know, I'm 36 now. And so for the last, 18 years. I've been looking at. I've known people in. I've been involved in young churches. And, you know, I've seen a lot of young churches, and um, I've seen a lot of young urban churches that don't have a lot of families, and uh, and and there is, uh, there's a, a lack of permanence to those churches. There's a susceptibility to whatever is most current in the the secular culture or the Christian culture um there's an inability to um an an inability to like disciple people across age ranges like they talk about discipleship but there's not like that kind of maturing discipleship into into things um and so like you what you then get caught in is a church culture where it's um a church culture that, that that um that focuses on things that 20 to 22 year olds like thrive on you know so language of intimacy, authenticity, things like that, right? Which may, means a lot when you're 20 or 22, um, but has less to do with your discipleship as as you get older. Like you need to add more to that. So, so I do think that families are an important part of the gospel flourishing within a progressive culture, um, as well as um, developing a church culture, therefore, that uh, is able to provide life markers, developmental markers. And again, you know, churches always used to do this, right? You know, all kind, you know, someone would be an altar boy and then they would be, you know, get be confirmed and like various things along the process. Right. And I do think there, are, we've, we've experimented with a little bit of that at our small church. And, and I think it's a good thing to have those moments of kind of calling children into the next stage. Uh, I think they respond well to it. They step up better than you expect. You know, it often turns out better than you expect in many of those situations um i'm gonna stop there there are many ways that i think the gospel can flourish what it can look like for the gospel to flourish um within this culture um i don't think it's normally as um is not normally going to be as big or immediate as we would hope uh, because the fact is that within a progressive culture we are a much smaller minority than Christians tend to be in a conservative culture. Mm-hmm. And therefore our impact is just going to look different. Yeah. So to that point,
1: you know, in a conservative culture, um, the culture is a little bit inoculated to the gospel because they think they've already got the gospel. Right. Um, in a post Christian culture, context in a, in a progressive context um, where's the inoculation
0: yeah well I mean the inoculation in some ways is the reverse the inoculation happens with respect to the churches from the culture and so uh, there's a tendency for churches in progressive uh, contexts to and I feel it myself uh, a tendency to to um, because we want to receive everything that's good about the progressive culture uh, while while also ministering the God. we want to, we want to feel credible, right? Uh, the culture doesn't find us credible, and so we want to, we want to make ourselves credible in some way. And so the the temptation is to become too credible, right? Um, and so there's an inoculation of the church that will tend to happen uh, because we are typically reacting, against uh a bible bashing sort of just like hit people over the head with with something uh and so our temptation is to be too soft on that um and not to call out sins as strongly um and uh, yeah like i said it's it's i i confess to it myself um it's something that 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 happens um uh the culture itself how does it become inoculated um I think that uh, it becomes. Here, here's 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 a a relevant anecdote. Well, it's not an anecdote. Um, are you from? Are other of you familiar with the name Aaron Wren? Or there's a, uh, has he put out a newsletter, which is now a podcast called The Masculinist. Is it yeah. Roger? cites this sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Aaron Wren, he started putting out this monthly newsletter um, six, five years ago or some four years ago and uh sort of i mean overall he's looking at um how churches engage with men um but he was in new york city and so he's he's really kind of he does a lot of cultural analysis of uh you know the the furthest line of progressive culture and how churches work within that and so he did he did a he had a newsletter he put out three or four years ago which used an analysis which has been used quite a bit now and he is really simple just saying that Uh, until, you know, roughly about 1994 or so, maybe too specific, but until 1994, America was in like a religion positive mentality, right? And so we had, it was overall, even if someone wasn't Christian, a pastor had an overall positive image um, in, in the country. And then from about 1994 to about 2014, it was more or less a religion neutral kind of status. And again, it's, Many Christians would claim that they were feeling oppressed or something like that within that time frame or feel like most people are not Christians. But overall, there was a tendency toward a, a new Christianity neutral kind of setting. And and this could be seen, and this is what was so strong about his analysis, was that like a, a prime figure of that Christianity neutral um, would be like a Tim Keller going out into the progressive culture and saying, uh, we can talk on the same terms, you know, like I can talk about justice. Uh, I can talk as well as talking about the gospel. Uh, I know secular philosophies, you know, I know what's, I know, I read the, I read the New York times and the New Yorker and these kind of things. And, and we can be on equal footing in our conversation. Common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then since 2014, uh, he would say like we've been in a religion negative um, sort of um, culture and, and, the the i think the the really striking thing was to show that uh a sort of tim keller approach which i would say nearly all urban church planters i know take um i have his book center church here on my shelf um about church planting in urban areas um uh we, we, this is the kind of language that we use um uh that ultimately like that's probably no longer as well adapted to the kind of like the kind of progressive culture that we're in now uh which is going to be even more strongly antithetical and will give us less ear to talk and so um and so because of that uh actually i think i'm straying now from your question i can't remember what your question was but uh but i'll keep going this is good this is good so keep continue the thought (laughs) yeah yeah so so i think because of that um uh, you were asking about inoculations uh, with the culture. Right. Uh, because of that, um, th- as a church, I'm I'm going to tend to want to um, I, I I want to talk on those like equal footing terms with the culture. And so in Buffalo, I lead these like Nickel City Forum events where we you know we we bring a, co- a Christian to the conversation on a big intellectual t- topic of some sort um giving a talk and getting you know non-christians in the room and we're all talking together uh that can be difficult um just uh in december i ran a um holiday gift box program in north buffalo uh getting you know like a a hat and gloves and a christmas gift to like needy kids in in, in, uh, a couple of schools that are in our neighborhood right like an obviously needy thing during COVID, these are like really low-income kids right and so the the goal was to like connect with the neighborhood as i did this so i was passing out flyers in the neighborhood and uh one woman i think i talked to her at her door she's like oh yeah i want to be involved i want to help out in some way in this holiday season and um uh and then so she emailed me later on about the details you know how she gets the gift to this kid and she's like oh but i just got one question for you what's your church's position on lgbt issues and I'm like, well, I mean, uh, uh, you know, here, here's what it is, uh, and then like very short explanation of just trying to give some background about being clear, but also here's some of the context for why we take a more traditional position. And then she decides, she, you know, she's not going to be involved in this holiday gift box program because she doesn't want to support a church because she's got a um, a gay sister or something like that. And it's like, you know, there was none of her, none of her money was going to support our church in any way right in fact there was no money that was going to us it was literally she was going to buy this gift and and herself take it directly to the kid like we weren't it wasn't the name of the church or anything she was going to take it to the kid and uh and so like these are the sort of opportunities that we we lose that 10 15 years ago would have been opportunities for our church to uh grow get our name out there connect with the culture we have this just negative vibe. Like that, that's the inoculation the culture has to the church at this point, that we just lose any opportunity right up front sometimes, uh, many times, you know, and it's just it's really hard to make those initial connections.
1: So, how do you overcome that? How, do, how does a church like Atonement, a um, theologically conservative, morally conservative church, expand the kingdom uh into that kind of setting
0: i i, I wish i had the answers here my, my church would be a lot bigger if i had the answers <laughs> um i <laughs> yeah, well we'll see we'll see um yeah i i i can't so i I can't say I speak with authority about this uh, because i'm I'm figuring it out I'm trying to figure out how to have a church in this context genuinely um because there are other churches that are that do somewhat better than us um as as far as their own reach um I'm concerned sometimes about some of those churches about how thick their discipleship is and uh i I see many people at those churches who um uh whose values don't line up with their church's values, but the churches just don't talk about it, you know? Um, so I think it's got to be a long-term vision, right? It's it's like being a missionary, right? Like you yeah. you don't just send someone somewhere for like a year and then hope that, you know, in Mozambique, all of a sudden there's like a, a thriving church in a year. Like you, if you don't commit to the area, it's it's just not going to work. Um So it's got I think there's got to be a show of long term commitment to a neighborhood, but that doesn't come just by a church existing in an area somehow you have to show the neighborhood that the church is for the neighborhood, you know, Um, and I, I do think that has some long term effect of of. Uh, of showing that, you know, we, we are, we're seeking the good of our city and, um, and we're good citizens of our city in a, in a certain sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, uh, I don't know at the very least, let me just say like a, a, a church certainly in a, in a progressive culture like ours, if our church, um, I don't know if we're littering church programs, like outside of the church, you know, afterwards, like people are going to notice that, right. You know, because they're going to say like, you're a church that doesn't care about the environment. Right. And, um, uh, that's that's important in the long term right uh and and you know what like we we do care about the environment and so like you know we are conscious of those things we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot um ultimately though it's got to be a long term discipleship kind of issue you know we've got to be really good at forming a really good Christians who are uh able to withstand uh the difficulties of living and raising children in a mm-hmm. in a progressive culture that's, that's hard to do, but it's going to take like, serious catechesis. It's going to take serious, I think, serious pastoral work. Um, I am not confident in the churches in the city uh, that don't have a strong connection between the pastor and the people. Um, and I would say overall, that's been I was just talking with um, a guy from an evangelical mega church in this area rec- uh, a couple days ago. And um, and I, I think that's some of the problem with his church's culture is that uh, their assumption about ecclesiology about the, about the church is that like the pastor equips the people to be this sort of like self-replicating discipleship like the, the pastor kind of gets the wheel rolling and then once that's rolling a disciple creates a disciple creates a disciple and it's kind of going on its own um, and I'm not I'm not confident that that's enough. Um, I think that, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm an old English parson. Like, I think, I think that the role of the, the priest in the life of the everyday Christians is important uh, to walk alongside, to be there, to symbolize the presence of Christianity in people's lives, uh, and to, be, to, to ensure there is an ongoing uh, catechesis and discipleship through all sorts of stations in life. Um, so I, I think I think a a fairly strong role of of the pastor in the life of the church is is actually really important as well as the the discipleship. Um, I, those those are a few things that we we try to focus on. I, I would say, yeah, sh- showing to the neighborhood that we are for the good of the city and and thick discipleship. That's a good answer. Final question.
1: You're doing well. Keep it yeah. up. Final question. Uh, what would you want? Uh, Christians in a conservative context to know about Christians in a more
0: progressive context. First, let me just let me just repent to Christians in more conservative contexts because it's very easy for Christians in my context to feel pride um, in our position because we feel like. Um, we feel like where churches are in more conservative areas like that's where our area used to be and our we're in a more advanced culture therefore even though it's harder for us it's like we we feel like we're we're just we're at where the rest of the country is going to be at later or something like that and so we are in a more advanced state um in our in our church or something like that um and so I will say that that pride creeps into churches that are ministering in progressive cultures, including myself. And so I, 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 I confess that. Um, I, I would say that uh, I would want churches that are in more conservative areas to, to realize um, uh, the, the level of discernment that we try to do with respect to the culture we're in. I admit that we don't always get it right. Sometimes we give too much, but we are often trying to be a sieve and filter out what can we accept, I'm sorry, what can we accept on Christian grounds and what can we not from our culture? And so I do think there's been a quite a bit of thoughtfulness about that because it's something that we're forced to do. And so I would just ask parts of the country that are in more conservative areas, uh, to recognize that this is um, this is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, how what parts of our culture can we can we do what parts of our culture have rooting in in the scriptures and the gospel and the traditions of the church and which do not which can we keep which can't? this is a constant conversation uh, for us all the time and um, and we may not always get that right. Uh sometimes we might end up a little bit too much like the culture around us. Um but I do, I do think that th- there may be some gifting we have to the church in that um we're al- we're always practicing. <laughs> we're a- we're always trying on those kind of things. Very good. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for this episode of Devices and Desires. I hope you all have learned a little bit about uh, kingdom ministry in different parts of the country and different cultures. We all live within a culture. We all live within a culture that needs the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So until next time, uh, we look forward to our time together. Please like, subscribe, and follow us. Share the material that you like. And we'll talk to you again.